Well, hello, and, and welcome to another episode of Doctor in the House. Today, I, I'm so excited that we're joined by Dr. Larry Duchon to talk about the Medicaid and CHIPS Reauthorization Act of 2015, also known as MACRA. It's something i got to say that I've been working on for, for years, so I'm perfectly prepared to talk about the history, but I also hope we can talk today a little bit about the future and where things are working, where things are not working, and where we may go. The important thing to remember about MACRA is it repealed a 17-year-old sustainable growth rate law, which was just driving doctors nuts. And it was important to repeal the sustainable growth rate formula. However, what then comes in its uh, follow-on is also important, and that's kind of where we are today. The legislation back in 2014 was driven with patients and doctors in mind. The idea was to put power back in the hands of those who actually provide the care, not the federal agencies. But that being said, who better to have on than a fellow practicing physician, Dr. Larry Bouchon. And Larry, it's it's great to have you. And, and just to provide listeners with a little bit of context, talk for just a minute about your, your district and, and what led you to be in Congress. Yeah, well, thank you, Dr. Burgess, for having me on. First, I want—I do want to say to the listeners that Dr. Burgess has been one of the leaders on this issue in Congress for many years. Many years before I got here, he's, uh, I think, known in Washington D.C. as, uh, as it relates to macro, as on one of the one of the drivers of working towards getting this law in place and transitioning, trying to transition to a. Uh, value-based uh, healthcare system. So he's been in the in the game for a long, long time, and I want to commend him for that. Uh, I'm from the 8th District of Indiana, Southwest Indiana, so Illinois border, Ohio River, the Southwest corner. I was a practicing cardiovascular and thoracic surgeon there uh, for uh, 12 years. I practiced in Wichita, Kansas previously for three years, so 15 years total. And I just felt that uh, we needed more providers, more physicians in the, in the government because of all the issues uh, around healthcare, and I think I've been proven right. At the time, what really drove me is the uh, Affordable Care Act and the debate over the future of the government's role in the healthcare system, and uh, I had substantial and still have substantial issues with that led piece of legislation, and that was one of the main drivers. But also, let me just say this. Um, uh, one of the other things that was happening around that time, of course, was the economic downturn in the, from 2008 and the federal government uh, bailing out General Motors, uh, and rightly or wrongly. Uh, but at the time, being a free market person, I felt like, you know, all these small businesses in southwest Indiana are going out of business. Why is the government picking winners and losers? So you combine those two things. I'm like, I need to run for Congress. And get some a different voice in there, and that's why why I ran. It's primarily a rural agricultural district, but we do have some manufacturing, a Toyota facility, a lot of plastics industry, uh, very rural uh, America though, with uh, row crops, uh, corn beans. Uh, but you know, it's just uh, it's just the heartland of America, you know, right right in the center of the country. Well, not a whole lot different from the district I represent, which is both uh, suburban and rural, and the parts that were. Rural last week or suburban this week, so we're very rapid growth part of the country. You know, one of the things that uh, when 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 macro passed, and it didn't have to be bipartisan because you you know with the Senate's rules, you got to get sixty votes in the Senate. 
Um, one of the things that I acknowledged at the time, and, and we forget, is that the, when you pass a big law like this, a big bill like this, it's like the height of chutzpah to think, there's this big complicated process. I'm going to completely reform it from soup to nuts, and I'm going to get it absolutely crystal clear right the first time I try. Well, that's not the way things actually work. So I knew going into this that there would be a requirement to do significant oh, monitoring of the implementation, oversight over how the agency was doing things. And, and we did that for the first four years. Uh, Republicans controlled Congress and the, the, the Energy and Commerce Committee, the Subcommittee on Health, Subcommittee on Oversight did do its work, did do its due diligence. We did at least two technical corrections to MACRA after it passed, as well as when Paul Ryan was speaker and he did a big budget bill, there were some things that got altered in MACRA. But then it's like the world came to an end. Democrats took power and they haven't had a single hearing on this in over four years. Now, Republicans are back in charge, I'm glad to say. So once again, we are prepared this week to have another hearing on the implementation. But can, can you speak to that, why it's necessary to have Congress continue to look at a pro, uh, process after it's been passed, signed into law, gone over to the agency to be implemented? Well, I mean, to your point, regardless of whether it's healthcare related or any other large piece of legislation relating to our economy, uh, you, you have to have long-term bipartisan engagement from the Congress because uh, the healthcare system, as you know, is complicated and it's very fluid. Things change in the healthcare system all the time. Situations change. We've seen that with a lot of consolidation since the Affordable Care Act. We've seen more and more physicians being employed now versus individual practices. So how does that affect the ability of MACRA to work? How does that affect the the uh, quality program, the MIPS uh, program, how does that affect the ability to create alternative payment models? So, uh, you know, the fluid uh, system needs ongoing uh, evaluation by the Congress to see and, and getting information. So when you have a four-year period where you essentially don't ignore something like MACRA, then uh, you're going to find, I think we're going to find in this oversight hearing, there's been substantial uh, challenges out there uh, amongst our providers. And I hear that uh, every day, particularly as it relates to, you know, the merit, the uh, merit-based in, incentive payment system, you know, the MIPS program, um, the, and, uh, you know, the, the challenges that come out of regulation and how to implement that and what qualifies, what doesn't qualify, that's been changed substantially administratively, and we didn't know uh, how that's affecting uh, the providers. And then if there needs to be a legislative fix on top of that, that's where we need to be prepared. We are the representatives of the people. We are the people's voice. And, well, uh, there may be plenty of things that go on over the agency we don't agree with. Um, we need to be we need to be sure that there's a there's there's an even hand on the tiller as as this thing goes through. You know, one of the things that as as we did the, the bill <laughs> 10 years ago, there was a significant move, or there was an attempt for a significant move from volume to value. And everybody talked about it. We wanted value-based care. We wanted to uh, to understand what we were paying for. We wanted to pay for what the patients needed. So um, how do you think 
in general, that has gone. Uh, and that recognizing that it's different for big practices as opposed to little practices, the big practices, which might be in an APM or an alternative payment module versus uh, the, the MIPS, which would affect the, the smaller practices. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been some some improvement in, in the, in, along those lines. I mean, talking to providers, I, I do think that the uh, complicated nature of the MIPS program and uh, in, in many people's views, particularly small independent practices and how they manage that has not been as successful, I think, as maybe we, we would have liked. And that's not my opinion. I'm just going by what my doctors tell me back in Indiana. Um, but I think it's made some headway. I I, I think it's uh, still has a lot of challenges. Uh, the one thing, and you again, you've been a leader on this issue too, is that the fact that that it's budget neutral all the time, so that you have to have just as many uh, physicians who are you know based on the quality program getting plussed up based on quality as you do people who are you know who are not getting paid as much based on quality and where you draw that line and, and how do you, you know, and, and that can change if the agency changes the rules. So I think that's been a little bit of a challenge, you know, that, um, that, you know, making the assumption that there's a, there's a middle 50% and then everybody above that's doing great care and the bottom 50% are doing bad care um, is for me has always been a challenge and, and, and that why shouldn't, 90% of physicians be able to show that they're providing really quality care that's saving money, that's using EMRs, that's doing the things that we're trying to do. Uh, and if they are, then they should get uh, reimbursed at a higher level versus um, versus having this uh, neutrality uh, situation. And I know you've been a leader on budget neutrality at CMS overall and how and that challenge, you know, with, uh, with the fact that mandatory spending now is 70% or so of the federal budget and we have trillion dollar deficits. So uh, yeah, some progress, uh, probably not enough. I will tell you one of the criticisms early on in this when uh, when the bill was being developed or evolved, uh, the criticism I got was that you're not being hard enough on these practices. You might as well call it the everybody gets an A bill because ever and, uh, and my counter to that was, well, don't you want your doctors and small practices to be successful? And to me, the answer is obviously yes. You do want them to be, yes. You want them to do their best work. You want them to get an A. But I think as things have evolved over time, and this is one of the hazards in not having an oversight hearing in so long, one of the hazards that has evolved is that mindset over at the agency, well, not everybody can get an A. And so we, we, it does push things in the direction of uh, more and more practices that are not getting a benefit of a plus up and in fact, find the opposite situation. I'll just never forget the day that uh, a gentleman who was our majority leader at the time, he's no longer in Congress, came up to me and said, Doc, wouldn't it be easier if we just put everybody into an ACO? And the answer is yes, it would be easier if we just put everybody to an ACO, but it's not the right thing to do. There are no. so many smaller practices that just are not in a situation where they can be in an ACO. And to be perfectly honest, I don't want all practices to be that. That's the consolidation side of the world that I think drives uh, a, a lot of the problems. Um, so 
let me just then that leads us into the to the next part of the discussion. The a short-term solution for doctors who practice medicine in a value-based system. Now there's a need to explore longer-term solutions. And that's again, that's the exciting thing about what we're doing with the hearing this week. We are going to begin to develop those. And you've been a leader on that, and you've reached out to a lot of, of doctor groups and asked them what they would like to see. So do you have some insight as to what you've learned in that process? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I, I said the, I said this to uh, this to some hospitals you know, that I was talking to, Indiana University Health, I think, you know, the system is very complicated. And if the fundamentally, if we would just pay providers for their value, the value they provide, you know, based on their training and and level of uh, expertise, then you know we wouldn't be having so much trouble uh, out there. And where does that show up? That shows up primarily in uh, the fact that we're having trouble getting doctors in rural America. So I know it's a bigger picture argument, but the reality is is that if you have whatever it is, whether it's healthcare or any other. Uh, in, whether it's engineers, whether it's lawyers, whatever, where you have a, 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 a system where because of the level of reimbursement as a major factor, people aren't being paid for what they feel their value is, um, then then you're going to see less and less people want to practice uh, that profession, whatever that is. And in my district in rural America, it's extremely evident. We can't get primary care doctors in rural America because the reimbursement level is just not adequate from the federal government or honestly from the private sector. So that's the first thing I'm hearing is like, you know, uh, overall is that physicians out there don't feel they're being paid fairly and don't pay for the value that they provide to the community and the level of education and training that they have. And, and the other big thing that's come out of this is that uh, the uh, adjustment, inflationary adjustment, that providers feel uh, is unfair because, you know, based on, and I'm talking about that CMS, based on uh, the uh, inflationary in index, you know, a lot of the providers are getting uh, hospitals in Medicare Part A are getting updates based on uh, inflationary uh, changes. Providers, physicians, Medicare Part B are not, and they're not even keeping up with the medical with a Medicare economic index. So that's the other thing, you know, people don't feel they're being paid fairly, number one. Number two, they feel like every every year they're losing more and more ground because they're not even keeping up with inflation. Uh, those are two big pictures. We could talk about the little details, but I think big picture, people don't feel like they're being paid for the value they provide to their communities. And they don't feel like it's fair that they're not getting inflationary uh, updates uh, when everybody else in the healthcare system is. So that, of course, leads to and exacerbates the problem of burnout, which yes. you and I have heard from our Surgeon General is a major consideration across the country, uh, regardless of the geographic area. And truly, it is the inflationary pressure that has really, <coughs> years gone by, okay, doctors were perhaps not treated as as, as fairly as hospitals HMOs, pharmaceutical companies, uh, but now layering inflation on top of this has really made the problem so much more acute, which again, I would come back to, which is why it is not just timely, it is vitally important that we have the oversight type of hearing 
that we're going to have this week. Otherwise, if uh, we just complain about it, uh, we're not going to we're not going to fix anything. The good news is there may be an opportunity to fix some things, and and certainly we want to get the the proper information. But also remember, in our system, we do have uh, we've got government that is uh, in the three branches. We're the legislative branch; we write the laws. The administrative branch is in charge of of executing those laws. And uh, I think we've all learned a pretty hard lesson in the No Surprises Act and what the agency or what the executive branch is is capable of when they misinterpret or simply ignore congressional intent. But overall, in in this situation, uh, you have a feeling as to how how the executive branch has administered the, the macro law. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, we've had Republican and Democrat administrations, obviously, since the law was uh, passed in uh, 2015. Um, I think over time, uh, agencies have made it more more and more complicated, I'll be honest with you. I mean, they've um, and um, made it more difficult um, you know, from and again, this I'm echoing what I'm hearing from providers out yeah. there, not in my own opinion. Made it more difficult to figure out, you know, exactly what they should be reporting, what can they report, what, you know, what's what's the differences between different specialties, all these things. And I, uh, in preparation for your podcast, Doctor Burgess, I, I I refreshed my memory on on MACRA and went back and reviewed the current status of the MIPS program and all the the, the quality programs, including the alternative payment models, and and I honestly. Even though I know a lot about this, I found it very difficult to, to navigate in many respects. Uh, and uh, what exactly you know uh, Medicare uh, CMS is trying to do. So I think, like a lot of things that we pass in Congress, you know, we can't be in the weeds, prescriptive on everything. But I think the agencies need to uh, try to simplify the process again, which we tried to do in the law. As you know, we consolidated some quality programs into the MIPS program. And we did, we did make some major improvements. Um, but my impression is it's, it's still cumbersome, still difficult. And because again, I mentioned this budget, new, the, but you know, budget neutrality situation, people feel like, you know, that uh, they're competing against their, uh, you know, against themselves essentially, you know, within the house of medicine to, uh, to try to get paid fairly and for their value. I mean, that's my overall impression. So part of the, part of the overall law was the creation of what's called a Physician's Technical Advisory Committee, yes, which has been created and has been populated. And unfortunately, the agency just has chosen to ignore anything that uh, PTAC has had worked on, any of the models that they've developed. Yep. And I think, honestly, uh, and, and maybe somewhere down the road, we need to engage the agency more on just what is the role of PTAC. Why was it important? If we're going to have quality measures, why wouldn't we have doctors involved in those quality measures? It's not just all the folks sitting in cubicles across the street. It's uh, people who actually go into a, an exam room or a treatment room or an operating room or delivery room every day of the week and take care of patients. They're the ones who are going to know quality much better than uh, than someone working at the agency saw it. I know that's been a that's been a frustration of mine, and and, and honestly, through both Democrat and Republican administrations, the uh, the agency has less 
interest in having the component of the PTAC that ideally was going to play a big role in how do you develop the quality measures that if we're going to move from volume to value, how do you develop the quality measures that are actually going to be meaningful and and uncomplicate things for docs and, and make for better care for patients. But that was uh, that's one that hasn't worked out as well as uh, as I would have hoped when when the law passed in 2014 and 2015. But again, we're having the hearing this week, and that's a good thing. Uh, I know we've got uh, a lot of pent-up demand for this. I suspect there will be more of a legislative hearing down the road after this investigatory hearing. So good for us. We'll we'll, we'll likely get two two hearings in this year, and it's way overdue. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we're getting there. That no one has a a franchise on the truth. We we need to get to the good answers and, and try to make this work for people because it's just way too important. You know, our our seniors are some of our most vulnerable patients, and if they're not getting the best care, that is a that's a real problem. So let me just ask you, uh, we kind of coming to the end of our time. What are, what are your sort of your your general observations in in, in wrapping up on this? Well, I, I think it, uh, I'm looking forward to the. To the oversight hearing, I agree that we need to have a, a, another hearing at least this year. You've been pushing for macro oversight hearings throughout the Democrats' control of the House, as have I. And so I'll be interested to see what, what we hear in the uh, oversight hearing today. But I, I think big picture, uh, Dr. Burgess, is that we we have got to look at an overall a reform of CMS and the physician fee schedule and how we determine value and how we determine um, how providers are paid. Again, one of my benchmarks is if you have a difficulty getting providers in rural America because they don't feel they can afford to practice there, you have a, a bigger picture issue. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, over the last 20 years or 30, 25 years, people don't want to don't want to necessarily live and practice in smaller communities because a lot of the physicians, as you probably know, come out of those areas. I grew up in a town of 1,500 people, but it's just not economically feasible to go back. And why is that? Well, it's because reimbursement, which uh, uh, has continually dropped, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, hasn't even kept up with inflation, uh, which is a minimum of, <laughs> of what you, where you need to be. So I'm looking forward to the hearing. I think we're going to hear some, uh, get some good information and then, you know, we need to work together uh, with the Democrats, you know, because you, if you're going to make big changes in divided government, you have to do that. Uh, but again, I just want to say at the end, I mean, I appreciate your long-term effort on MACRA to get to where we were. I mean, uh, and, you know, if it, honestly, if it wasn't for the doctor's caucus, I think, you know, pushing Speaker Boehner and Leader Pelosi at the time uh, uh, about the critical nature of changing the SDR and getting away from these annual doc fixes, uh, it would have never happened. And, and I think, you know, leadership from uh, providers in the government, which is why I ran, uh, it continues to be important. And uh, we're gonna, people like us need to continue to be engaged. That's absolutely true, the doc fix, there's all kinds of, of, of almost, you can't calculate the number of bad public policy provisions that were tacked on to a doc fix at the last minute, and then they're impossible to reform or get rid of. So getting that annual December charade, which was to get a doc fix through the floor of the Congress when nothing else was, was happening, and of course it's a fast-moving train, it gets a lot of cars tacked onto it, 
And we, we, we saw that uh, over the years. And if nothing else, get rid of the SGR, did get rid of that. We still have doc fixes at the end of the year, but they don't tend to be as cumulative as the doc fixes of, of, of previous year. But there is a better way to handle it. And I'm so glad that uh, uh, this is, you're right, it is important to the doctor's caucus. Uh, it has been for some time. So the doctor's caucus really can be one of the drivers on this. We've got the expertise and the experience from having provided the provided the care at the at the level of the uh, where where the doctor patient interaction is uh, is so close to home. So let me just say again, uh, please uh, thank Dr. Bouchon for his participation today. Uh, we're about to cue the dramatic music, but I just remind you to wherever you get your podcasts, follow Doctor in the House and. Uh, Look forward to another exciting episode coming up soon.